This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. Series 2 was recorded over the summer of 2017. The following content may contain strong language. Welcome to the second series of the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights podcast with me, Simon Stevens. Anupama Chandra Shekhar was born and raised in Chennai in India's east coast in the heart of the Bay of Bengal. She started writing for theatre in the second half of the last decade when her early plays Closer Apart was produced in her hometown and her next, the self-directed Acid, was produced in Mumbai. She first came to British attention through her debut play, Free Outgoing. Directed in 2007, upstairs at the Royal Court by Indu Rubasingham, it charted the psychological and emotional fallout for a single mother living in an Indian home when her daughter is found to have had a sex tape sent with viral consequences as a text message into the internet. One text message, as the theatre had it at the time, led to one girl being hated by a nation. The play charted with wit and grace and honesty the fallout of her family's attempts to deal with that. It was a huge success and transferred to the theatre downstairs as part of the upstairs-downstairs season and was produced in the 2008 Edinburgh Fringe Festival at the Traverse. Her next play for the court, Disconnect, was defined by a similar sense of wit and honesty but was perhaps wider in range. Set in a call centre in Chennai, the play dramatised the efforts of the centre workers to field the debts and inquiries, despairs and idiocies of the largely American callers to a US credit card company. It found a humanity in the geographical disconnection of our globalised call centre culture. She has been produced and translated in several different languages and staged throughout Europe and India, been shortlisted for theatre awards, including the Charles Winter Prize in 2008, the Susan Smith Blackburn Award and the John Whiting Award. Her play The Snow Queen, an Indian adaptation of the Hans Christian Andersen story, was produced at the Unicorn and remounted by Trestle Theatre Company to tour India and the UK. And this year, Anupama is the National Theatre's first ever international playwright in residence, a writer of caustic wit and wry compassion, building plays often dramatising the attempts to deal with the consequences of others' actions. She is a writer who has constantly found humanity in a world cleaved by technology. Anupama, welcome to the Royal Court. Thank you so much. Good to be here. It's really good to have you here. The uh, I always ask the people the same first question, which is, when did you first go to the theatre? Hmm. I haven't had that much <coughs> theatrical experience, um, but I remember being taken to the theatre by my grandfather to watch a mythological play by a, a Tamil writer called Manohar, and um, my grandfather took me there because it was his last show and last ever performance. He was retiring from theater. Um, and he was a big name when my, my granddad was a young man. So that was my first memory of going to the theater. And, um, and since then, I don't think I, I watched that many plays. I mean, Chennai is not um, 
known for its theater. There was a golden time, a golden era for theater at some point, long before I was born. Mm. Um, but yes, that mythological was um, was magical. And much of our theater is mythological, isn't it? I mean, it, that's, that's, that's how theater used to thrive back then. Um, you know, excerpts from the Ramayana or the Mahabharata um, and told on stage. And you can see why theater is dying or has died because all the elements of that mythological uh, dramas have translated into the cinema now. Mm -hmm. So the ingredients that went into a stage play, which is, you know, you need music, you need dance, you need humor, you need pathos, you need a villain, you need a hero, you need romance. Everything is now jam-packed in, in the cinema. So there is, we as writers, we are struggling to find a role for our survival. Um, we're asking, you know, what can theater be now um, mm. when, when the theater of uh, the pre-independence era has now moved to the cinema. So what, what can we do as writers to, to make theater contemporary, relevant, and different from cinema. Wow. Do you remember, like, the, the way you talk about the experience, the magic of that performance? Remind me of the performer's name again. It's called Lankeshwaran. Um, it is... Um, it's, it's about, it's, it is a Ramayana, a retelling of the Ramayana yeah. from the point of view of Ravana, the villain, uh -huh. the arch-villain, the, the man, um, the king of Sri Lanka. Right. No? But uh, at that point, it was just Lanka. Yeah. And he was Lankeshwar, and he was the god oh. of Lanka. And you, <coughs> how old were you when you went with your grandfather? I suppose eight years old. Right. Do you remember like the, like the physical experience of going with your grandfather, your grandfather as opposed to anybody else? It was just you and him, was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, um, my mum and dad were in Mumbai because um, dad had found a job there mm. and I couldn't get an admission in a school in Mumbai. So I was uh, sent back to Chennai to study in Chennai with my grandparents right. uh, at my grandparents' place. Oh. So um, my grandfather was pretty much my, my best friend at that point. Um, he used to play with me. He, he became a child for me, and it, it, it was um, it's a lovely relationship I had with him. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, music every single day. And, but his kind of music, you know, his bhajans and, and religious uh, s songs, mm -hmm. that, that sort of a thing. But that um, Dankeshwaran was also extremely political. And at, as an eight-year-old... I was very proud that I could actually get a sense, a whiff of the politics behind really? it. Really? Um, what was it? Because uh, you have to assume when talking to me about Tamil culture, about Indian culture, about Chennai, about anything, that I am an idiot. <laughs> so don't feel as though you're patronising me in any way. What were the politics you were getting the whiff of? Um, it was... Um, gosh, it must, I'm just trying to remember when it was... Um, Possibly eighties, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean, it, it's it's it was and the country was on the cusp of some major change yeah. and, and development, and technology was just being introduced into the country. Right. Eighties um, was when the television actually was um, became a household item in India. For in the India, first in time. the eighties, that's right. soon after the Asiad Games. So th that is the time period I'm actually looking at. 
um, before that, you know, only a, a handful of homes would have a, a television, and it used wow. to be black and white. Color came only in the eighties. Right. So um, this move out of the the theatrical live experience into the electronic experience is incredibly speedy. It's happened very it quickly. It yeah. is, but um, the the play captured the a sense that change was about to happen. Wow. Um, and huh. Lankeshwaran was this tragic king caught in a time warp. That was the sense I caught. Yeah. Um, because he wasn't moving fast enough, and there were enough references to not keeping up with the times. Yeah. Um, uh, but he was, I mean, his big vice was he kidnapped a beautiful woman who was not his. So um, that that's the story. I mean, how do you humanize a villain? I think that was the first right. experience at seeing the other side to a story. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's been probably a, um, an important experience. Yeah. Um, the retelling is always important. I mean, we know as as you know, as writers, we get we get in, we get fed what we are supposed to be fed. But to look at the other side, we need to dig deeper. And he was, uh, Manoha was one of those rare dramatists who did that. Since then, I mean, there have been retellings, but none as incisive, as, as, as funny, as, as spectacular, as, as uh, poetic as Manoha's. Tell me, because, because, because of this, <coughs> my, my kind of like joker card of just being an idiot, yeah. tell me more about Manoha. You, you said your grandfather was aware that it was his last performance. It was his he last He performs his own plays. Yes, I mean, he used to be, I think he was also the scriptwriter in his right. plays. Right, yeah. Um, and... Um, A significant figure in Tamil. He was, he was, and he was very significant figure in Tamil cinema as well. Right. But his first love was always theatre. Right. And he specialised in the mythologicals. And right. I remember him actually saying, you know, um, I remember reading a newspaper interview what, of what his. What are the mythologicals? <laughs> mythologicals are, um, <laughs> are plays uh, based on um, either the Ramayana or the Mahabharata, usually right. populated by gods and goddesses. Right. Um, it's the stories about the gods and goddesses that are, that are dramatized. And um, the origin of that is our religion, our rituals, the yeah. Hindu religion. Yeah. Um, and still, if you go to the villages, you do see certain aspects of um, our mythology mm. being uh, reenacted during important occasions. Yeah. For instance, um, years, years later, when I was an adult, I went to this village um, on, way, on route to some other place, some big city, but the village it was quite um, a lovely place um, for me because one it was some could be Diwali I don't remember mm -hmm. exactly what festival it was but it was, it was probably Ramanavami or the birthday of um, of Lord Rama and the way things work in Indian villages is that certain things need to be done basically the story of Rama mm -hmm. and his vanquishing of Ravana needs to be retold. Right. Wow. And there is an effigy of Rama that needs, uh, of sorry, of, of uh, Ravana that needs to be lit. 
as a bonfire. Wow. So once that is done, then you know uh, all the celebrations happen. Now, what happened in this in this uh, 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 in this village was that you know so one guy wearing red and gold and um, that kind of costume yeah. was Lord Rama, yeah. and obviously Ravana was the guy who was dressed in black. So by the time, each time, you know, the, the Ram, and, um, Ram would go around the effigy and, um, and deliver a piece of dialogue. And he would chase Ravana around the effigy and Ravana would, uh, would stop at some point and deliver his dialogue. Mm-hmm. So that happened, except it was, it was a village and it, everybody was in a celebratory mood. <laughs> and, and Ram, the, guy, the actor who was playing Ram, every time he went round... He had he had hidden a bottle of liquor, so he just <laughs> pop over and drink a little bit of liquor. But by the end, you know, so came, so comes this great battle between Ram and Ravana, by which time Ram Lord Ram was flat on the ground. He was unconscious. Now this is a, a, a ritual, yeah. so certain things need to be done. So what do you do? So then you have this Ravan figure, the arch villain. Take Ram's crown, wear it himself, deliver Ram's dialogue, oh. remove that crown, wear Ravan's <laughs> crown, deliver the dialogue, and he goes round and round as different characters and oh ends God. up lighting uh, the bonfire That's himself. So this man, the actor who was playing the lead, was, so was got, smashed. So, so you have a relationship with storytelling, theatrical storytelling in a culture which is local, which is vibrant. Which is kind of like anarchic. It's like and my understanding. It used to be vibrant. That's what I'm. Um, right. It was. But now was... that vibrancy has been diluted by cinema. Let me go back to you, because I could hear these stories all day. They'd be really fascinating. When um, tell me a bit of the story from how you went from the eight-year-old girl seeing this last performance of this great theatre maker to. Uh, what, I mean, where else are you getting stories from in your in your childhood? Where else are you getting drama from or writing from? <coughs> and specifically, when did you start writing? Um, where was I getting my stories from? That's pretty easy because um, my family was a family of storytellers. Right. My granddad, um, um, I've inherited his memory. He's, he had a very bad memory, but he was a very creative man. So he would, and, and as a child, I would I loved listening to stories about magic and and yeah. and um, you know good winning over evil. Yeah. Except when my grandfather told, he'd get when he was an old man, you know, he would tell the story about this this um, this goodly person who made friends with an ant, with a rabbit, um, with uh, with a fox, and mm-hmm. how they helped him. Except you know. Because he was an old man, he could only tell a story up to a point. So the next day, again, I'd come and continue the story. And he he would forget who the characters were. So I had to remind him, okay, it's an ant, it's a fox, it's a rabbit. So And so the story would go and he would build the stories um, impromptu. That's so beautiful. So he literally became the storyteller of his inherited memory, inheriting his memory. Yeah, I mean, and pushing yeah. it forward, reminding him, and, and also having his bad memory, <laughs> because I don't remember what I but tell you, people. Do you, do you remember the arrival of television in your household, for example? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And were you a reader as well? Oh yeah. What were you reading? What were you watching on television or at the cinema? Um, see again in until early to mid eighties. That was mm. when I was a child. Mm. 
we didn't have too many children's books. So okay. um, I inherited a lot of Enid Blyton's from my aunts. Right. Um, so th those were the books I was reading. And so English, I, English stories. English, obviously yeah. English. And, and Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys. And right. after that... I didn't know what else to read, so you move on to Agatha Christie, Perry Mason, right. and then what else? And then go to Alistair MacLean and um, all the adult books I wasn't supposed to read, I read before I was 13. Were there a lot of books in your house? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Books, I, mean I think that's that's to do with um, my father. Yeah. Who, Did, am I right? Your, what, what was your father's job? He was an engineer. Right, okay, cool. My granddad was a doctor. Right. Right. But, and tell me about your father then. Your father, the reason he had books in his house was because... I, he always had books in his right. house. Okay. And he was all... It, it was, he was hoarding books. It was like he was... Uh, in India, we kind of buy gold and store it as, a, as an investment. Yeah. For him, it was books. Right. And my mum used to say... I mean, mum is a good reader. He, she reads a lot of books herself. Yeah. But she say, you know... This, these books are not going to last, you know. You're, you're buying for <laughs> as if it's going to last for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, you've got to space things. You can't just buy things all at one go and hope mm. that it's going to last for, last for your, the rest of your life. Um, the, uh, when did you... Do you remember your first writing, the first, your f the first time you wrote anything? I think it would be college. Um, then what I was age is that? That age is seventeen. Right, so quite late. You didn't write as a child, or did you make stories as a child or play? No, not really, like not that? really, not really. I was reading a lot. Yeah. Um, I was also watching a lot of Tamil movies at okay. that time, to give my great grandmother company for no <laughs> other reason. And all our uh, our cinema is, is a bit melodramatic, you know. It's, <laughs> so it's. it's I was watching and reading stuff I wasn't supposed to, you know. It's, it's, right, And right. at that time, no, nobody even had a sense that these things should be censored for a child. That's a new <laughs> concept. At that point, I was happily reading everything, you know. Um, and classics, because I had exhausted all the books in the library. Yeah. So um, yeah. once you come to the classics, then you understand the richness of humanity and and the depth of humanity and what what some people can do when under immense pressure. Mm. Um, th yeah, so books were important. But I wasn't much of a writer mm. for a long, long time. Were you good at school? Were you a good student? I was good-ish. I always flunked history. <laughs> <laughs> Why? So, Why are you know. saying that as though you're proud of it as well? <laughs> no, because I'm, and now I can say with pride that history was not taught well. Okay, we, good. We have a, <clears throat> we don't know how to teach history, right? Um, um, because history is is so much more than numbers and years and achievements. Yeah, it's about failures as well, and we never learned our failures, and. To me, when I was, when I was as, a, as a student of history, and when I read the textbooks, I was, you know, the British were the bad guys, right? Because right. they were colonizing us. But that didn't make French any better than British. But the way books were written, mm. it's as if the French were, because the French were pitted against the British mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. And so also in India, in the Indian context, during the colonization uh, era, both the countries had a similar agenda. Right. 
and I did not realize at that point how colonization really worked. And that came to me much later, much later. Where, um, where did you go to college and what did you study? I studied English because it was, uh, because I liked reading. You, you were reading English fluently from childhood? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And speaking English often at, in, at home or? Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, we always speak a mixture of Tamil and English. Right. So it's, it's, so, and um, where did you study English? I studied in, in a college called Minakshi College. Which what? was pretty conservative. Okay, and and all is girls that? is in Chennai. It's right. all girls uh -huh. college, mm -hmm. and um, I must say that um, it was. I could see it as a mini dictatorship in action. <laughs> so um, I I just went about doing my own thing, and my little. Um, uh, Efforts at resistance was not well received. Um, what did you do? And I'm not, I'm a good person. <laughs> I don't do much, you know. <laughs> but it was there you started to write. No, no. Okay. I liked I liked reading. I never really liked writing. And when did you start writing? Though? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. <laughs> by and by, I became a journalist because I thought I wanted to be a writer, but I did not like to write all okay. the stuff I was writing. I was far more interested in 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 when when I was interviewing a person. I was far more interested in what he was not saying. Um. And that is that usually doesn't make for a good story for a newspaper, <laughs> you know. And at that point, I know I was getting really frustrated, you know, as a journalist. This is after you'd graduated. After, soon after my graduation. Yeah, at what about roughly 22, 23, 24? 21, 21. 21, yeah, okay. 21, 21. You were working for a local paper. I was working for a business daily. I mean, I, mean, I did. I had an internship, a brief internship, and then um, went on to a business daily. Right. Um, Personality-wise, I was not suited to be a journalist. And linguistically, I was not suited to be a journalist because I was just getting bored of using the same words over and over sure. again. Um, so, um, and there came a point when I was unable to write a letter and that was for me the scariest thing ever. When you're so numbed by the work you are doing, mm and the language of it and how and the lack of creativity I think so I quit to go back to studies and there my professor um, pushed me to do a, a playwriting workshop wow. till then till that point you know I had not finished any single thing that I had written maybe an article or two for the college magazine that sort of a thing yeah um, although my mum always said I had a flair for the dialogue, but then what do you do with uh, at the skill like that dialogues? You know, <laughs> you know, there, there was no tangible profession ahead of me, so I, that's that's why I went into journalism. But my professor pushed me to do this one and only playwriting workshop that came to Chennai at that time, um, conducted by a um, wonderful writer playwright called Mahesh Tatani who who possibly is has been instrumental in revitalizing theatre, um, especially English language theatre in mm. India. 
tell me about um, I, I'm I'm really going to push you to talk about your story because I can see that you're going to go into the broad culture as soon as you can. Yeah. But I'm just briefly, and I'll tell yeah. you when to stop telling me, I'm briefly interested in the role of playwriting yeah. in Chennai, in India. Yeah. Because um, when you talked about theatre, the, the notion of a playwright seemed surprising. So he was he was doing English language playwriting work. Yes, and, and that was that for me at that time, and I'm talking about... What early two thousand? Yeah, okay. Um, that at that time it was um, it was a rare thing. Right. I mean, had you seen English language theatre before? No. Or anything? Right. No. Uh, although for the workshop, one of the criterion was I should have watched four plays. So <laughs> in a hurry, you was looking for pl- four plays, and where do you where do you find four plays in two months? Not in Chennai. Right. So I, I kind of faffed and said, you know, there's a there's a Bharatanatyam recital that I faffed and said it was a play. <laughs> he wouldn't know, right? <laughs> so I mean, that's how I made my four plays. They didn't comprise plays. Only one was a play, and it was Midsummer Night's Dream, <laughs> written by William. What do you remember? What do you remember? Old Billy. <laughs> <laughs> What do you remember of the workshop? I remember for the first time being excited by writing. Right. Um, by how I could tell a story just by how people were speaking to each other. Or not speaking or to, not each, speaking other, to each other. Or not speaking to each other. Your fascination, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, it's, it was, it was, it was, it was the turning point of my life. Right. And so, what did you do with the work that you wrote there? Because it happened in the, under the auspices of the British Council, they sent the play to the Royal Court. The British Council sent the play to the Royal Court? British Council right. and Mahesh Tathani. Um, they sent mine and a few other plays to the Royal Court. And right. my play was selected as um, by Elise Dodson and Dominic Cook, I think, was uh, the associate, international yeah. associate at that time. In 2000? In, yeah. And I was invited over for the international residency. And yeah. In your mid twenties, early to mid twenties, early um, twenties. Had you left Chennai before? Had you left in not even left Chennai, let alone left India? No. And you came to the Royal Court International Residency. For people who don't know what the Royal Court International Residency is, could you tell us what kind of things you're doing and a little bit about the almighty Elise Dodgson? (laughs) We could define Elise Dodgson for the next half an hour, so let's not try and do that. But she's run the international department. She She formed it and has run it for 20 years. She has, and it's it's been her baby, and... I'm getting a signal from from, from producer Anusha, who's sitting in the corner... That, is that 23 years or 30 years? 30, 30 years. 30. The yeah. almighty Elise Dodgson, who's been working at the Royal Court for 30 years and set up and has been running the international department for 20 years now. She's an extraordinary woman who's campaigned tirelessly to find writers from throughout the world. She read your play. She and Dominic Cook, her then associate, invited you over for the international residency. What was that like? It was unbelievable. It was Fantastic! It was scary. Um, for the first time, I was aware of what people in my age group, my peers across the world, were doing, and they were doing far more active things. I mean, they were responding to the environment around them. They were putting that into their writing, and for the first time, I saw that in action. And and I realized that is what theatre should be. 
you know, always responding to what is happening around you. Um, and I, it was it was life changing. Seriously, I mean, I'm, what Elise does is phenomenal. It's not just the residency. Sure. Um, and re the residency has evolved over the years as well. But when I started out, it was, you know, we were, what, 13, 14 of us from yeah. across the world. Yeah. Um, and and my, my set had, there was a Palestinian writer and an Israeli writer. There wow. was a Serbian writer and a Bosnian writer. Wow. So you had these people come together, discuss politics, discuss art, discuss theater. It was, it was, it was possibly the most important piece of education I've ever had. Um, changed my life, really. And I knew how that I had a long way to go. It also set me on this journey that I've been going on to the state. But I always tell Elise, if I hadn't come on that residency at that time, I wouldn't be sitting here as a playwright. It's, it's thanks to her. And the thing is, she is not just a person who invites people. She, she supports them consistently mm. all through these years. Yes. Um, and there have yeah. been times when, I mean, it's, it's not a very easy environment for a woman writer in India. And to have her support at all times is crucial for, for people like me. Um, but she's, she's wonderful. It's, there was a seven-year gap between 2000 when you came on the residency in 2007, when yeah. Free Outgoing was yeah. produced here. What happened in the seven years? You leave the Royal Court determined to write plays. How easy or difficult was that? What happened? Um, soon after the residency, because I was still stuck in journalism mode, yeah. I went to the US to study journalism. Right. End of the year, I decided that is not what I wanted to do, but it would have been cheaper if I had made the decision much earlier, you know. <laughs> Where were you? Where did you go in the US? Um, I was in Illinois. Okay. Urbana-Champaign. Right. Um, but there was something in that one of the, um, um, the subjects I studied was something called literary journalism. Um, and I've, I've, I've used a lot of those techniques in, in my research. Because you're looking, you're interviewing people, you're building, you're researching f into facts. Yeah. But you're thinking like a fiction writer. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the skill sets of journalism and my tastes for fiction were merged in this in this one uh, beautiful genre and course. Right. Um, and that that's that the kind of research skills I got from that mm. is something that I've been using ever since. So I can't say that it was all way... It wasn't a necessarily was a waste. But, so what did you do practically after that course? You went back to Chennai, or did you uh, move? Did you really I did 2001, right? So yeah. and that was when 9-11 happened, and Bush was there. So in, a, in the U You were in the US? Um, I had just returned home. Whoa. Just a few days later, the 9-11 happened. Whoa. And that changed the course of history. Mm. Um, How did it change the course of your history, your story? Um, it made me see world in a very different light because um, I felt at the residency that no trouble was insurmountable. Right. That if we just sit in this room, we can have a dialogue and yeah. all will be all right. But that, that, that sense of nothing's going to be all right ever again 
that sense came with 9-11. The world has never recovered from 9-11. What we are seeing today is a direct response to 9-11. And if we dig further back, we know that, you know, the things that happened even way before that, that cost 9-11. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like, you know, which is why, you know, when I, history is, I'm happily say, said, you know, I flunked history, mm-hmm. is that we don't, we don't see the chain. We see in pockets. We don't see each action having a repercussion. So what was the repercussions for you? As a writer. As a writer, yeah. Or as a woman. Or, you know, just as a human. Like, as, a, but in, as a writer, as a writer, yeah. As a writer, as a human being, I think it just became a little more difficult for me to travel across the world. Right. The world was becoming more and more of a fortress, and it's become even more of a fortress now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a sense of freedom that I briefly experienced in 2000 when I came on the residency and mm. then went on to the U.S. Yeah. Um, to... Um, just before 9-11 there was freedom in movement and that that stopped so you had to go back to Chennai I had to go back to Chennai and and then I I was trying to get my play on my first play on and it took a long long time I didn't I was broke I didn't have money Mm -hmm. Um, and I I found a director who was also broke who didn't have any money Mm -hmm. so we just went about trying to find money to put up that play. But what uh, this was... Um, uh, what play was this play? This was my first play called Closer Apart. Yeah. Um, you, it, it got produced. It did. Yeah. Eventually. You, yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, tell me about the production of it. Um, so it was a free production, which means right. because we just got money from so many sources, we decided not to ticket it. So yeah. it was a free production, and for the first time we saw people... Crowd and people standing by the aisles just to watch this play. I don't know what they saw in this play. What kind of space was it in? What kind of theatre was it, it in? It was a proscenium. All our spaces are proscenium. And all our spaces are built for music and dance and right. not for theatre. Wow. So how many seats in this proscenium? 350. 350 people, but more people were cramming in. They were standing they cram- in the aisles. Yeah, yeah. It's free tickets to see this play. Yeah. In English? It was written in English? It was written in English. Um, charting relationship between a father and a daughter was a series of card games <laughs> and how was how did how did the people react to the, your play oh they liked they liked it uh, by and large and um, a, a, a few critics said you know it's 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 not um, it's not what theater should be nobody told me what theater should be but it's not this is not obviously what the theater should be apparently so you know it it was quite frustrating for me what at, even at that point i was asking myself what is theatre? Mm. I don't think I found an answer, but it's a good question to keep exploring. Um, you know, not knowing the answer is a good situation to be in. Did you enjoy the experience of watching the play? No. I don't... <laughs> Sometimes I don't really enjoy watching, listening to my words. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes so why did you carry on? Because I really liked telling stories through dialogues. And, you know, earlier in the day you said, do you write monologues? Mm. I haven't fallen out of love of dialogues to come to monologues, you know. Mm. Um, I like like telling stories when there are two or three characters in a space. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, 
But at that point, you know, it's, I knew this is what I wanted to do. I didn't know how to get there. Right. Again, it, you know, Elise happened. Um, she did. Um, she and the royal court did a series of workshops in Bombay. Right. And I was part of those workshops. Because I'm an idiot, remember? Yes. Tell me how far it is from Chennai to Bombay. Let's say if you're taking a train from Chennai, it's a 26-hour journey. Is that how you got there? You got there on train? On train. <laughs> 26 hours. Did you commute every day or did you stay? <laughs> <laughs> commute every day. I mean, yeah, I, would, no. I would have to be have a workshop <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the train. To no, I'm joking, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, so that I mean that's quite a commitment, but there was no doubt you were going. You were I going was. You know, there was. I could. I. I can't say no to Elise Dodson. <laughs> and in, initially, I thought you know, should I? Shouldn't I? And then I had a very stern letter from Elise saying, "It is best that you come to this workshop." And when Elise says that, you do it. You don't ask. Uh, no. You had you spent a lot of time in Mumbai before? Not much. Right. My dad um, worked there for a while, so I had been visiting him on and off, you know, during my vacation times. Yeah. But um, Mumbai is such a vast city, so vast, so vast. So you, you can. What population is it? God. You know, don't worry, don't worry. Millions. But, yeah. I know it's millions, and but it's, it's like just so. Jam-packed. It's like in the tens of ten million plus. Yeah. Rather than London and New York side, it's oh, considerably yeah, yeah. bigger than London and New York. London is nothing compared to, to yeah. um, Bombay. So what was that workshop like? Beautiful, wonderful. Who was the writer with you? We had Philida Lloyd. Yeah. Um, we had Carl Miller, mm-hmm. one of the finest dramaturgs uh, um, this country has known. Really underrated dramaturg, Carl Miller. Really beautiful, wonderful dramaturg. Yeah. And... Um, so we were the first batch of uh, the writer's block. Um, of, um, I don't know if all of us submitted mm-hmm. plays, but we ended up um, um, having a festival of new writing. And it was a rarity at that point, a festival of new writing, new plays by these new uh, Organised by the Royal Court in Mumbai? Um, not so much the Royal Court. It was organised by um, a group called Rage and the British Council. Um wow. Um, but without, uh, obviously, without the royal court, the workshop, or the the staging of those plays wouldn't have happened. And did you write? Is it acid? I did. Yeah, I acid, acid was written for that. Yeah. yeah. How did that go? How was it different having a play in Mumbai than in Chennai? Well, Mumbai is um, very active theatre. Right. Has a very active theatre culture mm-hmm. and an active theatre going audience. Um, and you have spaces dedicated to theatre, which is really important. Yeah. Um, when you have a space where a plays are shown every single day, then you know it. It becomes a part of um, the mindset, right? I mean, if if a, yeah, if I course. have a if I have a, an evening free, and I think you know maybe I can go to the theatre. So I go and I know that these spaces exist for theatre. So I'll find some some. Some place to watch there, yeah. so yeah. that that's that that's how Mumbai is. In Chennai, we don't have that kind of a space. We don't have a dedicated theatre space. Sometimes music happens. Sometimes dance happens. Sometimes mm. theatre happens. Right. But not every single day. Yeah. And our spaces in Chennai are all proscenium. 
in in Mumbai, where my place uh, was staged, Prithvi and NCPA, they're neither of them proscenium. They're both intimate spaces. Great. Um, Great. At least the, the, the NCPA experimental is an intimate space. Yeah. But you need those kind of spaces to to generate new writing, you know. Yeah. Tell me um, about the writing of Free Outgoing. Soon after um, uh, the Festival of New Writing in Bombay, yeah. four of us were selected for an India Week where we had to bring with us a kernel of an idea and workshop it here in London. At the Royal Court. At the Royal Court. Yeah. So, uh, 2005 was when um, we started to get us get cell phones in India, mobile phones mm -hmm. in India. So, and and at that point. I was trying to earn a living by doing freelance uh, journalism, and I was had written to all these papers, pitching my idea. You know, you know the dangers of cell phones, particularly camera phones, <laughs> and nobody picked it up. I have to say, so I decided to write a play about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. The uh, and uh, was that the kernel that you brought with you yes. to the Royal Court? Had you written things before you came here, or was it just the idea? That it was just the idea. And you were able to write here in London. I wrote. I wrote the beginning of a scene that yeah. that that finally was the only scene that um, that remained intact in the various rewrites. It was a scene between a mother and the school principal, where um, the school principal says what exactly yeah. her daughter has been up to. Yeah. Um, that was the only scene that had that uh, um, that saw from that I that remained from the first draft till the final draft. Right. Everything right. else changed. Characters changed. Characters were were killed off. Yeah. Were, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, yeah. And the other the other thing that remained intact was um, the central character would remain absent. Yeah. Right through. Why was that? Um. Because I did not want the play to be about her, more about her actions and about yeah. how society was respond, responding to what she did. And um, by bringing her in on stage, I felt that yeah, um, I, I would be Shifts giving a, mo yeah. a, mor a moral judgment on, uh, on her. I did not want that. Uh, so you started the play in London yep. with workshops with... Indu was Indu. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't Indu. It was uh, Tiffany Watsmith. Okay, uh, and then you went back to Chennai. Went to Chennai. Do you live in Chennai yeah. now? Yeah, still. Yeah. And you wrote you wrote the rest of the play in Chennai. Yeah. What's it like writing in Chennai? What is it, for a woman writer especially? What's the writer's life like in Chennai? You're able to make your living. What? Are you, no. How do you pay the rent? What do you do? Um, I don't pay the rent because I live with my family. Okay. It helps being with one's family because one doesn't have to okay. worry about rent. Sure. Um, but there is no. I couldn't make a living at that point. No. Did you do you do other jobs as well? Do you supplement? I it? try. I try to. You know, editing, um, freelance editing, freelance um, journalism. Yeah. Um, I used to write. Um, you know, advertorials. Yeah. That sort of a thing, things that I could use to make money. How is life for a, 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 a writer of plays or a, a female writer of plays in Chennai in particular? It's difficult for anybody who writes plays, but for a woman who's writing plays, it becomes even more difficult when her plays are not staged. And right. this, is, this is a problem that most female writers in India face. It's, it's a man's club. Theatre is a man's club. 
when the boys pick up boys place to put up the girls don't have as many opportunities to to have their place staged so how do they learn how do they grow how do they evolve sure so this is this is always i mean it's not just an indian problem it's a global problem um you know mm. just for women to be staged to be seen to be visible visibility is a big issue for a lot of women yeah and what but you were compelled to continue writing in spite in spite of those difficulties you kept going you wrote the play um again my grandfather he had the story to tell i love him i've never met him clearly, but i'm really fond of your grandfather <laughs> he had the story to tell you know it's, it's um yeah so this man he goes to this desert and he thinks you know i'm going to dig a well because we don't have water so he digs a well um and somewhere about uh, when he's dug about 3 meters down some passers by tell him you know this is not the right place to dig this well you have to go there that's where the water is the source of the water is so he goes there and he digs another 3 meters when someone else tells him this is not where you'll find water you have to go elsewhere so he digs a, a well there and then a wise man or there's always a wise man in my grandfather's story <laughs> and he comes and he tells uh, uh, this person if you had just stayed in that one spot mm. and dug a well you know without having moved anywhere else you would have found water by now mm. so it it just at that point it occurred to me you know there's no point trying any other uh, field when obviously none of the fields were interesting me um and if i had to stick with with playwriting i had to stick with it yeah and that for the long haul and that play in particular Yeah, I mean, I, I must have. I, I think in all, I must have written about seventeen, eighteen drafts. Wow! But it was also I was learning to write a play with that pen. Over the course of two years. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about just for the story of the moment when you heard from Elise or Dominic that they were going to produce the play. It was. Um, it was when Dominic, when Elise, obviously, she's the one who calls me all the time. So she, <laughs> she said, you know, we are going to do this play. Yeah. Um, but it's. a leap in the dark yeah. because it was so unformed at that point right, right. still struggling yeah. to come out as a mm. as a as a play I mean, it didn't have a life of, it, of its own at that point mm. so the onus was on me to give to deliver a good draft it was pretty stressful i must say mm. how do you give a good draft when you don't really know how to how to write a play I and mean, that that was a feeling i had i didn't know how to write this play mm. um but luckily he indu was on board at that time and she freed me and um i owe her a, a lot you know she just said write the play that you want to write yeah. forget about everything forget about everybody write the play that you want to write yeah um and i did i did um you write the play that you wanted to see i did i yeah. did yeah uh What are your memories of its production here, or or downstairs, or in Edinburgh? God, that was uh, that was such a lovely experience. Um, Indu had come to Chennai and she'd taken pictures of my flat, the flat that all of us live in. And the next thing I know, when I come here, it's been recreated. <laughs> Only it's bigger. I mean, I've never seen my flat this big. You know, I wish I had that space, you know, that space. Oh. <laughs> 
She just recreated my frame, including the cracks, you know. Right. Uh, Rosa Majora was the, um, the designer, uh -huh. terrific, terrific designer. Mm. From the floors, everything came alive. It was like just living home. And the cast was... Perfection. Yeah. Were you here for rehearsal? I was there for rehearsal. Um, Lolita played the lead. Yeah. Um, wonderful, wonderful actress. Yeah. And very incisive as a, um, yeah. you know, very thinking, very very understanding, humane kind yeah. of an actor. Yeah. Um, and she and and the first um, production had Sasha Dhawan as the son. Yeah, and I know Sasha Such Dhawan. a lovely. He's a great actor. Both of the them. movie star now. Is he? Well, yeah, he is in Brooklyn. He lives in Brooklyn. He's oh become my. like he's like doing an action superhero thing. Oh my god! I know. <laughs> the least likely action superhero you've ever heard. But yeah, oh my he's god! Great. Sorry. He's great. So this is a beautiful he's cast and was received cast. really well and had he a great was. life. Except I didn't know it was received very well because I went on, um, after the press uh, after the press night two two days mm. two days I. I did a little bit of you know, uh, touring of, of London and then went right. back home. Right. So I did not quite realise it was a big deal here. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and I thought that was it. And you know, What next kind of um, a thing? And what do I write next? Um, I mean, this, it's been a beautiful experience, but where do I go after this? If, you, if, the, if, if the Anu from the end of the, of the life of Free Outgoing could speak to the Anu of 2006 who was trying to write 17 drafts of it, you said you learned playwriting from writing that play. Would there be one thing you would tell that Anu, say, this is what you need to know, this is... this is. I would tell her to trust her instincts. Right. She had good instincts. She was just so diffident. Um, too different to... Too diffident. Too diffident. Right. Too diffident as a writer. Right. Um... And I think the journey from that point to now has been more of uh, discarding that diffidence. As much about discarding that diffidence as about learning the craft. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is, and it is a really um, harsh journey, you know, when when you the lessons you learn when you don't trust your instinct. Mm. There are stories that you have to let out. It's there. It's there. It's, it's just waiting to be released. Yeah. And you impose a certain form, a structure on it, and it doesn't come out the way it should. Yeah. So learning, learning to trust the story, learning to trust your brain, learning to trust your subconscious, because I found that my conscious brain is stupid. I have to let my subconscious do a lot of thing of the thinking. Yeah. So, but how do you make the conscious brain shut up? Because it's always yeah. saying things like, you yeah. know, you you suck. Uh, yeah. You're not doing the right thing. Yeah. Maybe you should go back, yeah. edit it. Yeah. But the subconscious says, you know, you go ahead, keep writing. There's something in it that you need to keep going. You need the momentum to explore that that strand. So you need to turn off the voice of doubt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's 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 been that's been the lesson I've been learning for the last ten years. Um, I want to talk about disconnect. Yes. Uh, that was your second play for the Royal Court. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Two thousand ten. Yes. Was the writing of that a similar process of seventeen drafts or? Um, possibly more. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, how was that? That was a commission for the Royal Court, was it? It was, it yeah. was. Um, um, uh, because I had, I had told Indu and Dominic, you know, there was this um, play that I was thinking of writing, but I discarded it because everybody's writing something or the other about call centres. Right. And uh, she said, we've not seen one in, in, in England, <laughs> yeah. so you must write one yeah. for, for here. Um, so I did. When I mean, you said everyone, who do you mean then? Is it the playwriting was, cultures of the playwrights of Mumbai? Um, there were, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a couple of plays on call center on the call center industry, but they were set as monologues. Right. It's easier to do monologues, uh, yeah, okay. you know, than than dialogues. But these were Indian writers based. In yeah, yeah, they were okay, Indian right. writers, and so, there were enough, um, you know, fiction on on call center sure. based on call centers. Enough non-fiction on call centers. So there's been a lot of writing happening um, around that industry. Right. Um, I had started to write soon after Acid, this yeah. this kernel of an idea of you know set in a call center, and it would have. It's a good thing that I wrote only. You know, years later, because by which time call center industry had also evolved, it wasn't this this glorious industry that was going to change the course of uh, you know Indian yeah. economy. It wasn't that. We could see that we were not any better than than slaves. You know, catering to a really hungry mm. and um, a hungry Western uh, capitalist society. Yeah. Um, so it so that was what I could capture when I was when I wrote Disconnect. Why do you think it took so many drafts? It's it's trying to capture the sound, the noise, of um, of, of of call centers. Did you research it? Did you go to a call center? I or, did. I or did. You, your your literary journalism, which you'd learned. In I did. Shanghai, See, I wasn't Illinois. allowed inside a call center when it was in a, when people were in it. Yeah. So I had to sit and make a composite of what it is. Right. Working in the industry by by speaking to over a, a, over a dozen um, a call center yeah. um, operators. Yeah. Um, so I it. it and, and and I think I used um, um, I had to really um, uh, you know I, didn't, I think I, I really gained from my my tutor in, in Urbana Champagne you know <laughs> just getting the stories out of them and yeah. to piece together how a call centre industry would work right. and to understand how the dynamics between each of these operators they're just sitting in cubicles next to each other to to have a sense of relationship between them yeah i know yeah because it's such a boring profession how <laughs> I mean, and you can't you can't just be in a cubicle it's not like that so yeah. there are, there's always drama happening indian yeah. indian office spaces is so full of drama <laughs> over the smallest things. So it's right. it's it's just Why trying to that? capture. We are that kind of a culture. We are a melodramatic society. We need drama in our lives. It's there. <laughs> it's in our blood. Um, one of the things which, uh, sorry, one of the things which uh, we've spoken about when we have conversations which aren't recorded on podcasts. <laughs> is uh, the presence of English playwrights in Mumbai and in Chennai, your peers, your other playwrights are reading British plays. You would came to Britain, you're here on the internet on the internet as international resident uh, international playwright in residence at the National Theatre. 
when I first met you, you were desperate to meet David Gregg and Robert Holman. I mean, <laughs> yeah, given yeah. the culture you've described to me, how has that happened? How have you come across David Gregg and Robert Holman? Are you are you reading still a lot of international plays? I am. I mean, I think uh, I can't read enough plays. Yeah. And I've I would be sitting in the British Council Library. This, in Chennai. In Chennai, yeah. trying to read as many plays as I could. Right. Um, and they weren't just they weren't filling the shelves fast enough for me. Reading in English predominantly. Yeah, they they have only English books. So right. yes, um, the reason why I know so much more about uh, British playwrights than American playwrights yeah. is because the American Council never fills its shelves. They still have only Edward, Edward Albee with you know, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That is the latest play that they have. So I, I would know all about the dead American playwrights and nothing about contemporary American playwrights if I'm sitting in Chennai. So the, the year-long residency, I've been kind of trying to collect place from other countries, other cultures, you know, and, and take them back home with me. Tell me about your average working day in Chennai. I know you've not been there for a year now, but uh, yeah. before you came for the residency, how how would your average writing day go? Where would you spend it? What would you do? I, so we, I live in a small flat with my mum and dad. And siblings as well, just no, you mum no, and dad? No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm the only child. Okay. So, it's, I mean, my mum tries to make sure I have I have some kind of semblance of space because all of our spaces are belong to all of us so I don't have a dedicated space to write from um, this is this residency has been the first time I've actually had a space of my own to wow. write from um, wow. and I live our flat is bank opposite a church an evangelical church and they every morning every evening they sing in the most out of tune way <laughs> and I swear you know there is it is a particular kind of torture to have religion sung in an off off tune way <laughs> it is torture and I, I've, I've told these people you know why don't you just even you have so much money coming and why don't you just invest in a tutor to <laughs> teach your your people to sing properly because on, then there is there is a chance that I can achieve religion through good good uh, music yeah. you know that that's never happened so looking at morning and evening um, that starts at about 8.30 8.30 to 9.30 of bad songs um, and then 4.30 to 6 of another bad song so yeah. my writing time it's is between the bad is songs is between the two bad it's bookended by those bad songs <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and do you have routines or things you like rituals or things you always do? No, I just try and slog, which has not been very successful. I've I've it's been kind of a a desert for me. Are you and, uh, do, what do you write on? Things that not subjects. I mean, physically, what do you write on? What do you do? You write oh, hand? Do you write? You write oh, a laptop. I have a laptop. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, I mean, laptop is best because I don't have to, um, you know, if if you're a procrastinator like I am, mm. you know, I get kind of bogged down by the the curly cues and the dotting the eyes. <laughs> so I can't write if it's excellent notebook. I cannot write if it's excellent pen. It has to be a mediocre notebook and a mediocre pen. Or, so, a, or a laptop. 
Or a laptop. Yeah, I love the idea. Uh, the playwright Alistair MacDowell said that the danger with a beautiful exercise book and a beautiful pen yeah. is that mediocre writing can appear to look like literature. <laughs> so he writes on school exercise books just because if it's going to look good, he's got to. It's got to be good. He's got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, so are you a note taker? Do you do you write notes or do you write straight into dialogue? No, I write notes. I kind of try to make a plan, mm. and I'm happiest when I don't stick to the plan. Great. Okay. Yeah, the uh, and um, so you came for the international residency. We're going back to two thousand. We just came no. to two thousand seven. Sorry, uh, to the international uh, the your position as international resident dramatist ah, yes, yes. at the National Theatre. Yeah, yeah. Emily McLaughlin, who was here at the Royal Court when you yeah. when your plays were produced here, is now the head of new work at the National Theatre. She invited you over, right? Yeah. It's her invitation. Yes. What's it been like? What's London like? Oh, London. <laughs> Tell London. us what London's like because we never we see it all the time, so we never see it. You know, it's a city that feeds you, and it's a city that keeps feeding you. Yeah. Um, and I and and by feeding, I mean your brain. I've never been starved. My brain has never been starved when I'm in London. Um, and the year that Emily McLaughlin has given me at the studio mm. has been possibly the most important year of my life. Um, it's, it's, I feel at peace and I feel far more confident than, confident than when I started. Um, somewhere in the last one year I could do nothing but think about theatre, live mm. theatre, breathe theatre. Mm. And the National Theatre Studio is a wonder, wonderful space where you know top-notch creatives come and go and the kind of conversations you can have just over, you know, while g getting a cup of coffee mm. is quite amazing. Um, so it's intellectually, I've been so, so uh, stimulated and buzzing with ideas. What have, have you seen anything that has lived with you? So many things. And if you had, like, what's your top three? Or um, Amadeus. Beautiful, yeah, um, beautiful yeah. version of, of Amadeus. Yeah. Um, Michael Longhurst production, yeah. Beautiful. Um, and then this is the year I, I fell in love with, with Shakespeare. Um, and it's, 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 quite, um, it's quite extraordinary when, when you discover a writer that, uh, and you, that you love. Mm. Um, and Robert Holman was one such, you know, yeah. the years. Yeah. Robert Holman, David Craig, these, and, and Simon Stephens. Of um, course. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting, Frank. No, no but go on, tell us about Shakespeare. You know, you know it, the joy of discovering a new writer yeah. is, is something else. But William Shakespeare, we, we study William Shakespeare in school. Mm. And I don't think I get or got, quite got a hold on him. Mm -hmm. His language was different, the context was different, the history was different. Yeah. So I was looking at Shakespeare as an outsider. Yeah, sure. And suddenly in this one year, you know, some wonderful productions of Shakespeare, this Hamlet at the Almeida, Twelfth Night at the National. Yeah. And suddenly he was my contemporary. He was yeah. not um, dead and gone. Yeah. Chennai has a very strange relationship with Shakespeare, I must say. Um, until a few years ago, um, we had to go to the police to get, get permission to stage our plays. We need police permission. This is one of the 
um, the, the remnants of a colonial time. Um, so there was a theater group that decided we're going to stage Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. So you know, there, as, as, as required by law, they submit a script to the police. So the police goes, who's the writer? <laughs> William Shakespeare. Where is he? He's dead. <laughs> Who are you? His grandson. <laughs> so this, this really happened in a police station in Chennai. A year later, another group wanted to make uh, Twelfth Night. Same police station, same policeman. Who's the writer? William Shakespeare. <laughs> I've heard of this fellow before. <laughs> Who is he? No, he's a very famous writer. And last time his grandson came, who are you? His son. <laughs> so, <laughs> Why do you need to be a living relative of the writer to get the play produced? You can't just produce a, a play that exists that's not written by... No, I mean, I think they could have said his... his I mean, the, the fact that they have to go to the past and yeah. tell truth. Truth is a really an arduous exercise in, in India, so it's easier to just lie and get ahead with it, you know. <laughs> if, um, my final question for you. Um, so the first play you wrote, the very first play you wrote, and the play you're writing this year, because you're, you're writing a play this year as part of your residency at the yeah, National Theatre. Yeah, yeah. What are the elements they've got in common? If you're looking at both plays, are there things which they share, which you find yourself consciously or unconsciously returning to? I think I'm, what I'm trying in all my plays is to dig deep into why relationships turn out the way they are. I, I, I'm very much a relationship writer mm. um, in much... Um, the way you are, you work on the emotions and right. and the heart of why two people can't be together when they should. Um, yeah. And I think that is possibly the, the thing that's common between play one and play 2017. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is 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 this trying to understand the complexity of of human emotion and relationships. Anupama Chandra Shekhar, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Emergency question. So, the emergency, so uh, producer the Anushka has an emergency question. She listens in and she's got um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's something she wants to know. Before the emergency question, I thought okay. the listeners might like one. to know that the population in Mumbai at the moment is about 20.7 million. And to put that in context, wow. in London, it's about 8.63. So nearly three times as big as London. Mm, yeah. yeah, okay. And then the Good research. Were you just looking on Google when we were doing the interview? Very briefly. Or you just I know was that? listening the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I just know. Uh, and then my question was, um, that course that you had to do where you were supposed to have read four English language plays, and you mentioned Midsummer Dream was one of them, my question was, what were the four first uh, plays that you ever read in the English language? So you got Midsummer Night's Dream. Can you remember what the other three were? No, actually, the first play I've ever read, it was not a play, it was... Um, I used to watch this um, wonderful TV series called... Um, 
Yes, Minister. <laughs> My dad got a book of it and the transcripts of, of that. So I, I was reading, rereading That's as so 11, beautiful. 12 year old. Yeah. You know, just I just loved it so much. <laughs> That's so wonderful. And then the play after Midsummer Night's Dream. She's not going to let you get away with that, even if you can't. No, forget. I'll just tell you what. This is this is really crucial now. Yeah. Um, the play that I watched that I could write about, um, and it, the Midsummer Night's Dream was horrible because it wasn't it wasn't a play. It was a dance drama, and they brought in an elephant and all that stuff. I don't. I, 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 I just didn't understand why all that was needed. Um, uh, so I don't, I do, I don't remember anything about the play, but the elephant and it shat in the middle of the stage. <laughs> um, but the play that I did watch was um, a wonderful play called Mahatma versus Gandhi, which charted the relationship between Gandhi and his son. Wow. Um, and I'm saying this because. Um, I'm writing a play on Gandhi yeah. and and I can see somewhere you know there's a, a journey from that point Great. to now Great. Um, and it, there is you, you see patterns in your life and I yeah. think the pattern of, of you know, history of this man you know exists in in, in my journey now so Thanks for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop or come into the shop at the theatre. Come to the theatre. Come and see the plays. We're at Sloan Square. Come along. Come and see everything. The Playwrights Podcast is brought to you by the Royal Court Theatre. It's presented by me, Simon Stevens, and produced by the remarkable Anushka Warden and Emily Legg.